Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Rant and Grow. I'm your host, Tulio Siragusa, and today I have Terry McDougal as my guest. Hi, Terry. Welcome to Rant and Grow. Hi, Tulio. It's really great to be here with you. Fantastic. We're going to be talking about something really interesting and a topic that we need to have a conversation around, and that is how can you be successful without sacrificing quality of life. A lot of people struggle with this. They think they have to give up something or make sacrifices in order to achieve success. I was one of those people, and I did make those sacrifices, Terry. But before we go into this topic, let's get to know you a little bit. Would you please tell the audience who Terry is? Yes, Tulio. I am a wife and a mom and an executive and career coach. I'm also the author of a book called Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. And before I got into coaching full-time in 2017, I was a 30-year corporate marketing leader. So I um, did did marketing for a long time, uh, 21 years at two national, large national banks. Um, and so I, I've been through a lot of the things that I now coach my clients on and, uh, you know, really help them try to map that roadmap to a place where they can uh, expand the overlap between their professional success and their personal happiness. All right, great. So Terry, every one of us, likes something to talk about a specific topic for good reason. Most of it's because we had a breakthrough ourselves, right? So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, what was the breakthrough for you? What was the journey for you uh, that's made you go on this mission to try to help other people or to help other people about how to find success without sacrificing quality of life? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about that. And I would say that, you know, there's a there's a number of things in my life that sort of brought me to where I am today. And I think that one of the things is that I grew up in a a blue collar background. My dad had a job where we had to move around a lot. I moved I lived in like 40 different places by the time I was 11 years old. And um, that that taught me a lot in terms of wait, 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 I'm sorry. (laughs) 40 or four? Did I? Did... 40, 40. 40. 40. Zero. Yes, I know. It's mind boggling. Were you like really an is. army kid? No, he worked for um, AT&T and he worked on these uh, work crews that were burying the long distance cables. So All right. he was so working he's the, on a... he, He's the example of sacrificing a lot in order for a company to be successful. Yes. And, you know, I mean, he just had a high school education. And so I think that he really was trying to make them the most of, you know, right. he was sacrificing not living in one place in order to have a better job, a better company. I learned a lot, you know, about working hard and sacrifice. Um, but I also think that I learned um, you know, the, it wasn't easy as a kid having to move around a lot, always being the new kid. I There were a lot of great things. I'm very adaptable. I'm able to go into a situation and size it up very quickly because I've had to do it so many times in my life. But I also think that I was very driven to be successful. I, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I... I set my sights on getting a high paying corporate job. And I thought about that. Like, why did I do that? I think part of it, because I was smart and I thought, well, I should get paid for, you know, my talents. 
but also I think I just wanted more control in my life because I hadn't had a lot of control as a kid, you know, having to move around so much. And, um, you know, so I really was always so focused on like, how do I get ahead? How do I get ahead? And also coming from that blue collar background, I didn't have anybody that was in my family that was like a VP in a company that could say, um, here, honey, let me tell you how to do it. Or let me introduce you to somebody that's going to get you an internship and get your foot in the door at this great company. So, you know, I, I was scrapping it out <laughs> and, uh, and that worked, you know, relatively well. But one of the things that I would say is that, you know, I was able to get jobs and get in there, but sometimes I was like, why are these other people around me getting promoted? And I'm not, I could not figure that out. And, mm. and, uh, you know, a lot of times with the, with high achieving people, and I see it a lot in my coaching, um, practice is that for high achieving people, if they're not getting their goals, they will double down, baby. They'll be like, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work faster. I'm going to do more. And one of the things that I discovered is that, you know, rather than, you know, putting the pedal to the metal and trying to go forward faster or, you know, bust, bust through that obstacle that's in front of you. Sometimes the wise thing to do, although it's very counterintuitive for many of us, is to actually slow down, step back, see if you can see the big picture and understand what's going on. And, you know, start thinking about like, how can I use what's, you know, good about me to be smarter about how I approach this situation? Um, Now, Terry, I'm curious. Uh, I'm wondering if this is less of an impact for the newer generation. And just hear me out for a second. Uh, We were both raised by a generation that was raised by a generation that came out of the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Who experienced real hardship and had to make significant sacrifices in many cases to survive. So the children of those survivors of the great depression learned this idea that you have to make sacrifice to take care of your family Mm -hmm. and we are the generation of the children who made those sacrifices so we've seen through example what it's like to make sacrifices for your family we were not part of a generation that was more focused and woke about taking care of yourself first in order Mm -hmm. to take care of others right yeah we're learning that Yes. But the newer generations kind of like, I'm not signing up for that crap, right? So yeah, are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you Listen. seeing, a, 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 do you think this is different for various generations? Yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm a mom to, you know, three kids and my, my kids are 23, 21 and 17. And I've observed, you know, what's different about them as they've grown up. And one of the things that I've recognized is that when we were kids, there was not access to information in the same way that there is today. You know, like my kids have learned so much from YouTube, you know, they'll go out and, you know, figure out how to shoot a movie from like watching videos on YouTube. And then they go out and they shoot it on their, you know, little digital camera when they were younger and now on their iPhones. And, you know, when we were kids, you had to align yourself with someone who had access right? You, you couldn't, you'd have to get access to a, you know, probably multi-thousand dollar camera and film and all of this to be able to shoot a movie, right? And that, that just wasn't that accessible. Whereas now they just have a lot of access. And so, 
they, they recognize what's possible. You know, when I even think about, you know, whenever I was choosing my college, when there was no internet, you know, you'd have to buy a book or ask your, you know, counselor, like, who, where should I go to college? Like, I chose my college because my mom liked the town that it was in. She, like, it, I went to college in Williamsburg, Virginia, and, there, you know, Colonial Williamsburg's there. And she's like, oh, I like that. That's really pretty. Why don't you apply to school there? <laughs> I like that so, town, too. It's right. one of my favorite towns. Yeah, it's a great town, <laughs> you know. But I, I literally, that was the only place I applied to. I got in, and I was like, okay, I guess that's where I'm going. Um, and, you know, I, I, it was a great place for me to go to college. But, you know, I do think sometimes, like, I wonder what it would have been like if I actually, you know, could have chosen something different. We just didn't have the access, you know, you'd have to write away to be like, can you send me a brochure? <laughs> you know, just Right. That's interesting. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. The barrier of entry entry was significantly higher mm-hmm. back then. Right. That there's so much more access. Yeah. Today, there's really no excuse. Um you can learn just about anything. So I'm, I'm curious how much of the previous argument I made about the generations that came from the mindset of having to sacrifice to survive uh-huh. versus lack of access or both yeah. that has triggered this sort of mindset that I have to make sacrifice and sacrifice the quality of my life yeah. to be successful. And, 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 I'm curious in your book, in your work as a coach, how do you help people make that shift? Because that is not a fun way to live. Yeah. You I know, mean, you sacrifice marriages, you sacrifice yes. relationship with children, yes. uh, you sacrifice your health. And ultimately you look mm-hmm. back and say, this is not uh, fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, I, I really help people to become aware of, like what their thought process is as they're making decisions, right? Because very often, well, actually, this is something that I've observed and I I found research to support this when I was writing my book that high achieving people are often uh, addicted to external validation. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And actually this might be, you know, we could maybe talk about this, that might be the difference between like our generation and younger, younger kids is that, you know, you, you can find there's, there's so many more people that you can connect with online that you can find your tribe and you can get validation that maybe is more aligned with who you are, you know, innately today than, you know, back when we were growing up, there there wasn't like, it was more like mainstream. You had to like, what does the teacher think? whatever. And, you know, so you would like conform yourself to get that positive validation. And for a lot of a high achievers becomes a habit, right? Like, what does my teacher think? What does my college professor think? You know, am I getting the A's? Am I going to get the good job? What does my boss think? And it gets to a point where, you know, we just become habitually, we're like putting off that, that personal gratification, looking for external validation. And at some point, I kind of look at it like you're successful enough. Guess what? You're, you're fine, right? You don't have to keep, you know, striving for that brass ring. If you, if you gave 90% instead of 110%, probably nobody would notice. But the reality is you'd have more time and energy to invest in things that you want to invest in. And I, I really think that what drives people a lot of times whenever they're just striving, striving, striving is that underneath of it all, it's fear. It's fear that they're not going to, they're not going to make the cut. 
that something's, you know, somebody's going to say there's something wrong with you. And what we need to do, if we really want to be happy, is start shifting the balance a little bit more back to what do I think? What are my values? Am I willing to, you know, design my life so that I can honor myself and honor my values? And often we can do that in the job we have just by saying, you know what, I'm going to put some boundaries in place. I'm not going to answer emails over the weekend. I'm just going to set that expectation that, hey, I'll, I'll get back to you, you know, eight o'clock on Monday morning, but I'm not, you know, if you email me at, you know, seven o'clock on Sunday night, I'm not going to email you back, you know? You know, Terry, you make an interesting observation that I had never really actually thought about. And that is that the previous generation, the new generation, we're not much, we're not very different. Both seeking validation, except the approach to getting it is different. Mm-hmm. Right now you have Instagram and you can post something, whether it's real or not. You can create an image that will get you likes and comments. And that's your form of validation. Yep. Whereas back in the day, maybe it was striving to drive a luxury car. In mm-hmm. order to get the validation, right. both required creating a persona or an image mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily always truth. Sometimes mm-hmm. you went into debt to buy that yeah. car, and sometimes you're faking your state of being on Instagram just to get validation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not much different. That's, a, yeah. that's one thing that's become humans clear. To are me. Humans are humans. <laughs> yeah. We just ha- we just adopted different ways of tools to seek that validation. But to your point. That'll only take you so far, and then ultimately you're going to wake up and say, "This is not real. This is not authentic." I see I'm it all the time. Fulfilled. Listen, I see it all the time. Where people right. like part of them is like, "Oh, I want the success. I want the validation." And part of them, I mean, this is where you see people self-sabotaging. You know, where they'll say, "Why do I always do this? Why am I always finding myself in a position where I have a bad boss?" You know, because a lot of times people will blame this on external. Uh, situations like, oh, I'm so unlucky. I always end up with a job where I have a terrible boss. And I I have to say, like, you're the one that chose that situation, right? Like, Ryan, why did you choose that situation? Why did you turn a blind eye? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, there's, there's repeating patterns for a reason. And usually it's something, it's a belief that we hold underneath everything that goes back to a coping mechanism that we learned at an earlier time in our life. And we just haven't re-examined. Um, this might be a little so bit you, more heady than what, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it's fine. Look, we, we, we talk a lot about belief systems on rent yeah. and grow because ultimately it comes down to this common denominator that drives all of our behaviors, yeah, whether sure. we're conscious or conscious or unconscious of them. Mm-hmm. We do have certain beliefs that either hold us back or move us forward. Yep. And the good news is you can change them. You can override them. That's the beauty of neuroscience. But I'm curious uh, in your experience as a coach, when you start to see this pattern, have you noticed how blind people are to their own pattern sometimes? How do you help them see it? Like, because sometimes people are so bought into the the BS, they buy their own story, right? I always believe we all have two stories, right? We have the aspirational truth, of who we aspire to be mm-hmm. and who we sell ourselves to be to the public, right? Yeah. Then there's the BS we tell ourselves based on, you know, the masks we have yeah. to wear for our traumas that we haven't healed. Yeah. And in between is the truth, right? And yeah. the being present. 
So how do you help people? Because it's sensitive, right? It's like, it's very eh, that's sensitive. not really who you are. It's so very, how do you help very people through that. Right. No, I, I have an assessment that I use that helps people uh, identify those subconscious beliefs that hold them back. And it is, it is like such a, a beautiful uh, assessment because basically whenever I debrief it with them, I tell them, okay, I give them one thing that's the big who statement, which is like at their core, underneath of all those dysfunctional coping mechanisms, who they are. And it's amazing whenever I, I debrief people and I tell them and they're like, Oh yes. Oh my gosh, that's me. How did you know? And it's because of the way they answer the questions. I can tell that, but I can also tell where there are, you know, obstacles or dysfunctional coping mechanisms that are holding them back. And this is sort of like underneath of it all, they're this beautiful, shiny being. And then they've, they've sort of like, you know, put this armor on around them that's all dented up and dirty and everything. That's the way that they've been coping with life to try to protect themselves. And this usually does go back to some kind of childhood trauma. And when we go back and we say, well, look, you're coping because of this, you know, you're coping this way because of this. And it totally makes sense that you would cope because of that. But let's step back and recognize that, you know, that horrible thing happened to you your parents divorced when you were five years old and you know you were left to your own devices and that was scary for a little boy or or whatever um you're 45 years old now you know and you've got a lot more resources now where if something bad happens you don't need to use these very you know survival level ways of coping right you've got you know you've got an amex platinum card you know you, you know you exactly you've got three million dollars in I, the bank you know, you've got resources exactly i always say you're not responsible for your upbringing your parents are yeah but you're responsible for the choices you make as sure. an adult and you know and you can keep excusing yourself saying well this is because i was yeah this one, and that's part yeah. of the narrative but it's hard let's, it's let's very hard it's hard most right? people don't um don't connect the dots and the other thing is that even if part of them recognizes it, there's a lot of shame associated with it, you know, and, and what I try to do is say, let's have empathy for that small little child who did the best that he or she could, you know, let's be, let's be, you know, let's celebrate that you figured out ways to cope to get you to where you are now, you know, hooray, it's awesome. And if you want to do things differently now, you can. You don't have to hold on to those old way of doing things because it's not serving you well today. I love that. I love that. A lot of people try to just override it instead of acknowledge and own it and just say, okay, that's a part yes. of it. Yes. And you don't want to. But acknowledging that's the child. Yes. And... Right. That's the key thing, right? Yes. Am I going to let the child dictate in my adult life it's there acknowledge it but then making this shift is yeah hard, right so how are you how do you what's some of the key ingredients you've discovered that helps people make that shift to being self-accountable for yeah living an adult life for adulting yes. now right well <laughs> for one thing uh, to recognize that you know when we cut off part of ourselves, like that child was left behind because it was not given the adult 
support that it needed at that time, right? And what we do as we grow is because there is shame associated with that. We feel like, you know, we weren't good enough. Mommy and daddy didn't pay attention to me because I wasn't good enough. We shove that part of ourselves in a closet and lock the door. That child is able to continue to self-sabotage and so forth because it feels disconnected. It's, it's, you're mm. continuing to sort of re-traumatize yourself by not uh, like processing what happened and what we can do, you know, I, I don't, you know, I know people talk about reparenting, but I, I just talk about like, you know, bring that child out into the light, recognize that the feelings that you had when that stuff happened were real, you know, have some empathy for yourself and love yourself and give yourself credit for getting you to where you are today and start saying, you know, like if, if that child gets triggered, recognize it for what it is, right? Like um, that's not you today. That's you back in 1975, <laughs> you know, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, if you can treat yourself the way that you would treat, you know, if there was a five-year-old in front of you and, and she, she or he were crying, what would you do? Try to do the same thing with yourself, you know, because when we exile that part of ourselves, like it's still part of us and, and it's going to cause problems if we don't acknowledge it, you know, and, and once we get past it, you can get past it. Like it can be in your rear view once you've processed what happened. Amazing. So in order to experience success not only do you not need to sacrifice yourself you don't need to sacrifice that child either no it sounds you can embrace that child and love it that's the heart of who you are and when you can embrace that also like you can get back in touch with the joy and the playfulness and the things that you loved uh you know it's just that you know when children have to be when they have to step into like an adult role or something, you know, where they have to be hypervigilant to protect themselves too early, they lose touch with the joy, right? They don't feel safe to have fun, right? That's so true. And I'm, I'm wondering if a lot of the shame stems from that, right? Just we're told over and over, you're an adult now, you know, you have to think this mm-hmm. way now. You can't be operating yeah. that way anymore. Yeah. Uh, even, even when a, 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 a toddler transitions from a baby, it's like, you don't, you can't just scream now. You got to use your voice mm-hmm. now. You're not a baby anymore. So we're programmed from an early age to embrace this new version mm-hmm. and let go of the old. Yeah. But what I'm hearing is part of this, and maybe part of the shame is that I still have this old part of yeah. me. It's who I am. Why do I have to be ashamed of it? Right. And we'll and say if what's if wrong with me. If it shows up, I have to be ashamed. Yeah. We right, say what's right. wrong with me, you know, and, and I mean, I have nothing. I have exactly. Nothing is wrong with you. <laughs> like it's perfectly natural that you would have been scared if you, you know, had to come home to an empty house every day when you were six years old and, you know, it was creaky you know, and, and mommy wasn't home because she had to go to work because your parents got divorced. Right. That's perfectly. And, and, you know, a lot of times people do sort of like shame us or don't acknowledge our feelings. And when we're children, that's really, really difficult. And we also start to internalize the way that we're treated. Right. So we may internalize if our parents are saying like, you know, quit your crying, you know, or I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Right. Like we, we, we stuff it, you know, yeah. Um, and and we we start to talk to ourselves that way instead of talking to ourselves the way that we wish our parents had, which is, 
you know, like, well, honey, I'm, you know, it's natural that you'd be scared, you know, but, um, you know, if you came home and it's, but let, let's figure out what we can do to make you feel better about that. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on time, Terry. I really appreciate having this conversation with you. If you had to pick one thing, one key initiative someone can take if they feel themselves a a feeling sense of shame or feeling like they're sacrificing part of themselves Mm -hmm. in order to pursue being successful, if you have to break it down to one simple thing to kickstart themselves on the track to reconciling with these thoughts, Mm -hmm. what would that be? I think it's when you are, when there's a stimulus that causes you to take an action and if you don't like the action that you're taking, stop at that very moment in between and ask yourself, what am I thinking right now? Because a lot of times we're thinking things like, you know, they don't like me, you know, or I'll show them or I'm not good enough. And if that thought is not one that is serving us, start thinking about what's a thought that you could replace it with. You know, so that if something happens, you're like, oh, you know, the they didn't say hi to me because they don't like me and I, you know, uh, screw them. Right. I, I'm not going to talk to them. Right. If you can stop at that moment and say, is there another reason that this could be happening or could I is there something else that I could be thinking right now? It could even be like they don't like me, but I don't care. That's OK. They're they're entitled to their own opinion because it, it changes the energy that we show up with. It gives us more options of how we respond. Um, so think about what happens right at that moment before you take action. What's that thought? So beautiful. Uh, the key to everything is self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? That's the first part of leading an emotionally intelligent life. Terry, it's been wonderful to have you. We'll make sure. Can you just let people know how to contact? You have a website. Uh, yeah, yeah, they can con- contact me on my website, which is terrybmcdougall.com, or they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And my handle there is Terry B. McDougall. And it's Terry with a Y, at B as in boy, and McDougall is M C D O U G A L L. Fantastic. It's been great to have you. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Until next time. Stay safe.